Good morning and welcome once again. As I come to preach God's word, I wonder if we could just start with praying and inviting God into this moment. Lord, thank you for this time. This time, Lord, where we set our hearts on your word and we ask, Lord, for your word to speak power into our lives. Lord, would you just prepare us now to receive? Open our hearts, our ears, our minds, Lord, to receive all that you're saying today. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to communicate what you want to say to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. We're continuing our series on the big story. Most of my series last for four weeks. This series is going on. When will the series of the big story end? I don't quite know. I might continue preaching it next week. I don't know. I just each time there's another big story that God's given to me to share. I wonder how many of the stories can you remember? As I preach this now, I can't get to hear your reaction, but you can always put on the online platform any stories that you can remember. I've preached seven messages so far on the big story. I wonder how many of those you can remember. If you're quick on the chat, you can start to type in some of the characters or stories that have been preached across the last seven weeks. I should correct myself, I haven't preached all of them. We had Carl Beach preaching, we had Annie preaching. I preached five of them, they preached two of them. Seven messages. Can you remember any of them? Let me go through them in reverse order. So if you want to get on the chat, think about the ones that are furthest away. Last week, I preached about exiles to home. It wasn't really a preach, it was more of a, a talk, but that's what it was based upon. It was based on this story of the return of the Israelites from captivity in Babylonia back to return to Jerusalem. Do you remember before that there was a story that was called Elijah was human like you? And I preached about Elijah's spiritual depression, about his moment of just doubting everything despite the great victory he'd seen on Mount Carmel defeating the prophets of Baal. The week before that, I wonder if you've got these in the chat yet, I preached about being before doing. It was a story of Mary and Martha and these two different character types, the being and the doing. Before that was Father's Day. Do you remember? Carl Beach was preaching. He didn't really call it the big story, but I'm going to grab it into the series anyway. He spoke in that message about the prodigal son, about the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son and the prodigals coming home and being accepted by the father. A week before that, I forgot actually Tony preached this one, so I only preached four. Others preached three of these. The week before that, Tony was preaching, my brother. He was preaching on the breakfast with Jesus, about Jesus on the beach with Peter giving him breakfast and receiving him back, giving him grace, showing him grace. Annie preached about with great power comes great responsibility as she preached the story of Moses and his life and the big story of his life. Before that, I was preaching again and I preached on saving the best until last. The story of the wedding at Cana where Jesus turned the water into wine and the week before that the very first week of this series can you remember the sermon <laughs> it can be depressing when you realize how little people remember i don't know what you're going to put on the chat but let me remind you the very first message on the big story was i was preaching about god in unexpected places 
speaking about the story of Jacob wrestling with an angel, wrestling actually with the Lord. How do we remember all these stories? Of course, you expect me to remember all of them. I've got them written down. I've probably forgotten a few of them. But, you know, are we expected to know all these stories in the Bible? Do you know enough of the Bible? Can you tell enough of the stories of the Bible? These are things that as Christians we often get stressed about. We often use this actually as a rod to beat ourselves up about. Like, I, I haven't learned enough. I haven't studied enough. I haven't remembered enough. Can I quote enough scriptures? It, when someone says about Elijah and Elisha, which one was the two? And did Moses come before Abraham or the other way around? These things can stress us and even put ourselves down and go, well, I'm not very good. But that's not what they're meant for. There's one story that you must remember. It's the story that you have. It's the story that you have. And it, let me tell you now, it's probably not the story that you think it is. And sometimes we need to learn even our own story or be reminded of our story. And sometimes we need to learn how to tell our own story. Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning as we look at your story, your story today. And we're going to use the story of Paul to think about your story. So let's think about the story of Paul in the book of Acts. He was called Saul. He renamed Paul after he converted. And we read the story of Saul becomes Paul. We read the story about Paul in Acts chapter 9. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 19. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I do like the New Living Translation, especially for stories, because the language is really more natural. And so I encourage just to hear this as the story that it is, the story of Saul meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is what it says in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest he requested letters addressed to the synagogue in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and didn't eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorised by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, 
For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I'll show him much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptised. Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Well, if you've never heard that story before, it's quite amazing. If you have heard it before, you've got some familiarity, maybe even the phrase about the Damascus Road experience. How many of us have a story like Paul's? I don't. I don't. I don't have a story of a blazing light that shone in the sky on me. I don't have a story of the voice from heaven bellowing out my name. I don't have a story of being blind and then being healed of that blindness in the way that God saves me. And I know many of your stories. I don't know any of you who've got a story like Paul's. Even if you do, even if you've got a dramatic conversion story, which deep down we're all secretly jealous of, the people who've got those big dramatic stories. I want you to know that isn't your big story. Today, I want us to see that we all have a big story. And it's not the day you were saved. And it's not even the way that you were saved, whether it was a blinding light, a still small voice, a, a falling down, a putting your hand up, a running up to the front, whatever it was, it's not about the way you were saved. You know, the beaming light or the voice from heaven is so rare, it's so few people's experience. And as much as we deep down want these amazing conversion stories, they're not actually very helpful. The bigger story is the big story that is helpful. And it's a story that you have to tell. And we can learn a lot from Paul. Because what's interesting, I don't know if you caught it there, Paul was told, or Ananias was actually told, Ananias was told that Paul would take the gospel to the Gentiles, to kings, to all manner of people. And Paul does that. He tells his story. And I want us to listen to him telling his story. This is actually later in the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 26. There's, there's a whole bunch of storyline that, that rolls out in the chapters leading up to Acts 26. And it's where Paul is um, trying to uh, minister in Jerusalem and then crowds come in and start uh, arguing with him and then fighting with him and the riot breaks out and then he gets arrested and he gets wrongly accused of something and then he gets before some authorities. Then some people are trying to kill him and this whole thing goes on and it lands up with Paul before the king. Do you remember that bit? I read a moment ago where Ananias said he will speak to kings. Well, Paul gets to speak to King Agrippa. And in this encounter, Paul tells his story. And I want you to listen to the way that Paul tells the story that we've just read. We, we just read what happened. We read the Damascus Road and this amazing experience. But I want you to hear when Paul tells his story, he doesn't tell the conversion story. I mean, it's in there, but he tells a bigger story. Listen out as I read this. He tells the bigger story of his life before Christ. Yes, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life after Christ. So this is Paul telling his own story 
we get to read in Acts chapter 26. So hear him tell this as he stands before King Agrippa. He says in verse 2, he says, I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one here in my defense today against all these accusations by the Jewish leaders. For I know you're an expert in all the Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood. He is explaining his life before Christ. He says, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they'd admit it, they'd know that I've been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promises made to our ancestors. In fact, that's why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope as I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? And then he really starts to tell his story about life before Christ. Verse 9 in chapter 26, he says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did that, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the leading priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. So he tells his story of who he was before Christ. He gets to the moment on Damascus. But just listen to him telling this in verse 12. It's not as, as grand as we read it. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I've appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you've seen me and tell them what I'll show you in the future. And I'll rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they'll receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Then he tells his story of what happens after he has this encounter. Verse 19, he says, And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God, and prove they've changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time. So I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way, announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. It's fascinating how Paul tells his story. I wonder if you were Paul and you had that experience on the road to Damascus, how would you tell your story? Paul makes quite a small episode in there about a light appeared and God spoke. He makes a lot about the gospel and he makes a lot about his life before and his life after. 
And the first thing I want to say to you today is you have the same story as Paul does. And you might think, well, how can I have the same story as Paul? We just said it, Trevor. We didn't have a big light and, and, and a voice from heaven and this blindness and healing experience. No, you didn't see a light. You didn't, maybe didn't even have has an amazing conversion experience. You know, we place so much and too much focus on the conversion moment. The middle is not the big story. The moment we change direction is not the big story. The big story is that we have changed direction. The moment of conversion is different for everyone. It's different. Everyone has this different story of how they got saved. But the change of direction is the same for everyone. When you share your story, your big story, you are sharing the universal story of coming to faith in Christ. And the person you're speaking to may have a different conversion moment, but their story is the same as Paul's, it's the same as yours, it's the same as mine, it's the same as every believer that we have experienced a change in direction. We were once not a child of God, but now we are. You were once dead in your sins, and now you're alive in Christ. You were once trusting in yourself, and now you're trusting Jesus. You know, it's not the day that you change direction that's more important, but it's that you change direction. You know, I just thought of a, a few examples of this. Think about my married life. I could tell you about the wedding day, the day I got married, the events that happened in it. And you might be interested, but it's nowhere near as compelling or interesting as a story as a young boy, me, in my young teenage years, just wishing and dreaming that one day I would have a wife, someone to love, someone to spend my life with, even just as a young person, longing to have someone of my own and I would be theirs and they would be mine. And longing for that in my singleness, just as a young person. And I could tell you that that's not true anymore. I've had amazing years of love and companionship with the one that I love, who's my soulmate, and the person I'm spending my life with and spending the rest of my life with. That is so much more a compelling story than the wedding day. I was once single and alone, and I'm no longer that. Think about the same for me, and I get I know it's not everyone's story, not everyone's married, not everyone has children, a lot of you do. And I remember. The story I could tell you about the day the children were born. I've got to be honest, Karen can probably tell you more about it than I can. But telling the birth story is nothing like telling the story of how I really wanted children. I really wanted a family. I really wanted to have a unit that was my own family. I wanted to, to grow up and see children around me and then be, be my children, my family. And now I get that. I get that. I get the family around me, seeing them growing up into adults, into their own human beings, seeing them mature and, and just being a family of my own, to have a gathering around the table and have dinner together and go, this is my family. That is so much more interesting than the birth story. I've never moved country. You know, I think of Richard and Jill and people like that, who've, who, my dad who's emigrated, people who've lived in a different country. The fact they lived in one place and now they live in a different place is so much more interesting than the day they packed up their house and put it all into boxes and got on an aeroplane and moved somewhere else. You know, 
The bigger story is that our lives have changed. That's the big story. That's your story. That was Paul's story. That's mine. That's yours. That our lives have changed. And just to be really clear, this isn't, this isn't some um, over-glorified Christianity where we say, I had a rubbish life, but now I have a great life. Because yeah, that's not everyone's story either, to be honest. You know, it's not that it was bad and now it's good. You know, I was once poor, but, but then I met Jesus, now I got wealthy. That's not the story. It's not, you know, I used to be really ill and then I got met Jesus, now I'm all healthy and I never get sick. That is not the story. It's not even the story sometimes that goes, I used to be super unhappy and then I met Jesus and now everything's all wonderful and there's fluffy kittens and bunnies bouncing around the place and I'm just happy all the time. That is not reality. The true story is that you were once lost but now you are found. Just think about your life before you followed Jesus. Just think about who you were before you met Jesus. How did you used to think? What did you think about God? What did you think about Jesus? What did you think about life? What did you think about the purpose of life? What do you think life was about? How did you used to think? What did you believe? Where did you put your trust? Who did you trust? Was you living for yourself and just putting your trust in, I can only trust me? Where would your life have headed? Just think about who you were before you met Jesus and just imagine the life ahead of you without Jesus. Where were you heading? And you don't have to have this grand story. You don't have to be a womanizing bank robber or a drug dealer or some dreadful story. You know, I was born into a Christian family, but I still had a life before giving my life to Christ. And that life, although it looked religious, was one that wanted to earn its place in heaven. I can remember having a little bit of paper with different sins listed on there. And each day I would tick or put a cross if I'd committed sins. And I was trying to drive down the number of crosses I had each day. Because even though I was in a religious setup, even though I went to church, before I gave my life to Jesus, I was trusting in myself and in my own righteousness, improving that I was good enough. I had a life before Christ, even though I wasn't some bank robber or drug dealer or murderer or some great victorious story of how I was changed from this to that. I was lost and now I'm found. Everyone changes direction. Everyone. Every single believer who's following Jesus, everyone who's watching who is a follower of Jesus, everyone who's gone before you has changed direction. It's your story. It was Paul's story. It's my story. And it's your story that your life has changed. It's every disciple's story. It's every Christian that's ever lived story. We have the same story that we were going in one direction and now we're going in the other direction that we have turned around because of Jesus. Not that everything's got better, not that everything's solved, but you were once lost, but now you are found. You were once sinful and now you're cleansed and made righteous. This is the story. The second thing I want you to know is that your story is enough. You know, there are common barriers that I hear and I see about people not having confidence in sharing their faith. One of those things is I don't know enough of the Bible stories. I haven't got enough Bible knowledge. I need to get, I don't feel confident in sharing my faith because I don't know enough of the Bible. You will not believe how many people have said that to me. I just don't know enough of the Bible to share my faith. Another objection is, 
I, I can't make the argument well enough. I can't debate all these these highfalutin atheists and and people who've got you know clever techniques and uh, have studied philosophy and religion and they've got all these things. I can't debate them. I haven't got the 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 the, the um sort of the intellectual wherewithal to to debate them. That's another obstacle that people have. Or even if you think, well, okay, I've got my story. I can remember how to tell that. I don't know much of the Bible, but I can't quote many scriptures. But yeah, I know how I got my saved. But my story isn't that, that impressive. It's not that dramatic. Well, let me tell you, your story is enough. Let me address some of these objections. Firstly, I don't know enough Bible stories, people say. You know, you don't need to. People are more interested in your story. The Bible is not believed by most. In actual fact, the, the word of God describes that people are blind. They don't see the glory of God's word. You and I, we should read the word of God and it is life and, uh, and breath and it, it, it just speaks. But to those who are blind, it is blind. It's like when Jesus spoke in parables, only some got it because he'd opened their eyes. And so the stories in the Bible often don't speak to the unsaved, but your story has power. The Bible says that you're a living letter. You could read to them the book of Ephesians, and don't get me wrong, you know, people have got saved through reading the Bible. This is not me knocking the Bible, but I want you to know that you don't have to rely upon, do I know enough scriptures? You have a story of the way that God has changed you and redeemed you. You are a living letter. You are God's workmanship, the Bible says. You're his poem. You're a letter for all to read. You don't have to know all the other stories. Just know your story. And people say, well, I, I can't debate enough of these theologies and scriptures. You know, Paul's life, and I picked on Paul because he's got this great story, but then he tells the bigger story. So it gives you this great example. But if you read the book of Acts, you'll hear Paul do an awful lot. I mean, Paul was a bright guy. He was. He was incredibly gifted. Let me give you, I mean, I spent some time this week studying the book of Acts and reading through it and reading through it and looking at where Paul occurs. So I'll just give you a little skip through. In, in Acts 13, you'll read about Paul teaching the stories of the Bible, the Old Testament story and how it leads up to Jesus. He gives a whole chronology of the Bible in Acts chapter 13. And you think, well, I can't do that. Acts chapter 17, he reasons from Scripture. So he, he finds all the different scripture and creates this theological reasoning that says this is why it's all true and this is why Jesus, who he says he was, from scriptural basis, he does that. And we look and go, oh, I'm, I'm not that equipped. I don't know enough to do that. In Acts chapter 17, he also talks philosophy and speaks about philosophy and, and uses philosophical arguments as to why Jesus is who he says it is. And you might look and go, I don't know philosophy. I can't do that. In Acts chapter 18, it talks about him using these reasoned arguments. Again, he puts together different reasoned arguments from Scripture. And you might look and go, I can't do that. But all those stories I've told you, when you look at that and go, well, I can't do that. Paul is talking to religious people and to philosophers. And he's really skilled at doing that. And it's great. It's great that God used him in that way. And it's true to say, if you're going to get into a debate, then you need to be well equipped. If you're going to discuss philosophy, then you need to understand philosophy. But when Paul got to speak to King Agrippa, a man who wasn't a religious leader or a philosopher, although he was a king, he was not part of that establishment of that, that highbrow. He was just someone to speak to, someone to tell a story to. What Paul does, he doesn't rely upon philosophy or 
scriptural theology or debating. What Paul does is he tells his story. That's what we read. There's only one other exception, actually, in the book of Acts that I read where Paul doesn't either argue with these highbrow intellectual people, right? Or he doesn't tell his story to Agrippa. One other place is when he's with the jailer who says to him, what do I do? I want to be saved. And Paul gives the simplest message that I believe any of us can memorize. This was the gospel message that he preached to them. He said, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. That was it. That was it. So my encouragement to you is, you don't have to debate philosophy and, uh, and, and theological principles. There are people who are equipped to do that in these places where people want to have an argument about it. But you do have a story. And if people get to that moment again, so what do I do? You have to say to them what Paul said to them, which is believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. And the third objection is that people think, well, my story isn't dramatic enough. You know what? Your conversion moment may not be dramatic. It may not be lights in the sky and, and voices from heaven. Mine isn't. Your conversion story may not be dramatic. But your conversion is. The moment might not be, but the fact that your life has changed is a dramatic story. And sometimes we don't see it and realise it because we don't realise the way the Bible says it is and we don't live in that reality. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You were dead in your sins and now you're alive in Christ. Do you know you have a resurrection story? Before Jesus, I was dead in my sin. And I've met Jesus and now I'm alive in Christ. That is your story. That is my story. That is dramatic. 1 Peter 2 verse 10 says, you were not a people and now you are a people. I didn't used to belong to anything. I wasn't a part of something significant, but now I'm part of something significant. I'm part of the people of God. I'm part of the global church. I wasn't and now I am. That is a dramatic story that you have. Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 5 says that, you were an orphan, you had no family, and now you've been adopted into God's family. That is a dramatic story. Your story is enough. The third thing I want to say this morning to you is, be ready to tell your story. You know, how you tell a story matters. And so being ready to tell your story matters. And I found some of this on the internet. You know, the internet is a great thing for finding weird and wonderful stuff. Just think about some great movies. If you're a movie person like I am, you've seen some great movies. These movies tell a story. And when you go to retell that story, you can make that movie or you can break it. Again, you might want to just privately do this amongst you or you might want to try and beat me on the chat to see if you can guess these movies. Let me tell you the story of a movie in one sentence. Here's the, here's the movie, right? Leonardo DiCaprio wanders a frozen wasteland in search of an Oscar. What film am I talking about? Leonardo DiCaprio wanders a frozen wasteland in search of an Oscar. Well, I've just badly told you the story of the film called The Revenant. What about this one? Some of you might get this right. Here's the story, told badly. A boy escapes from a cupboard. 
and goes to a castle, then uses a stick to kill a pale guy with no nose. Get it in the chat. Let me tell you again, see if you get this. A boy escapes from a cupboard and goes to a castle, then uses a stick to kill a pale guy with no nose. It's the story of Harry Potter. It's a great way of telling the story. Everyone wants to go and see the movie now. I mean, if you've not heard this. What about this story? One word, this film. You can get it in the chat super quick. Rich girl lets poor man freeze to death. Rich girl lets poor man freeze to death. It's the story of Titanic. Now, some of you I know are going to get this. You're big fans of this movie series. Group spends nine hours returning jewellery. Three epic movies made on this. Group spends nine hours returning jewellery. It's a bad telling of the story of the Lord of the Rings. Do you get what I'm saying here? Movie makers go to great effort to tell a good story well, and you can tell a good story badly. What about this? A bald guy teams up with another bald guy to fight another bald guy. I've never seen the movie, but I've seen the posters. Apparently, that's a summary of Fast and Furious. Or lastly, for you Disney lovers, girl develops St Stockholm Syndrome while being kidnapped in a castle. Girl develops Stockholm Syndrome while being kidnapped in a castle. It's the bad version of telling the story of Beauty and the Beast. You know, you have a story. You have a story, but I want to be super practical with you. You need to be prepared to tell it and to tell it well. You've got a great story. Don't ruin your story with one of these titles I just told you. Don't ruin your story. You've got a great story to tell. In the book of 1 Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, it says this, But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared, always being prepared. Let me say it again. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I want you to hold that scripture, just to hear those words. Peter says, always be prepared. And, and of everything that you and I can do is being prepared to tell our story. It's your story, it's my story. It's the universal story of Christians that I was once lost and I met Jesus and I gave my life to him and he entered into my life and now I'm found. I was once sinful, bathed in sin and I met Jesus and he cleansed me and now I live free of the guilt of sin because there's no condemnation on me. This is a universal truth. You know, when Paul tells his story, I read it to you from Acts chapter 26, a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 22, he tells his story again. It's the first time he tells it, so I suppose 26 is when he tells it again. But he tells it in a very similar way. He has a very similar structure. He uses the same structure. He says, before I met Jesus, life was like this. Then I encountered Jesus and I turned around. And now my trust in Jesus or my trust is in Jesus. And I'm like this. There's a before, a middle, and an after. And the before and after is the same for all of us. Now, of course, you're going to use your own words. You're going to put it in your own natural language. But I want to say, 
The same thing is true for you as it was for me as it was for Paul. And it is a dramatic story. Be prepared to tell this. Before I met Jesus, I was lost. That is you. That is me. Before I met Jesus, I was lost. Before I met Jesus, I was headed for hell. Before I met Jesus, I trusted myself. Before I met Jesus, I didn't realize how amazing Jesus was. Before I met Jesus, I didn't see the sin that was in my own life. Before I met Jesus, I had my own self-righteousness where I thought I was so great because all these great things about me. That is true of you. That is true of me. It's true of Paul. It's true of every believer. Before I met Jesus. And then you'll have a moment when you gave your life to Jesus. A time, a period. It might be a day. It might be over a period of time. And you're able to say, now I'm with Jesus. I'm no longer lost. I'm found. I'm no longer headed for hell. I'm headed for heaven. I'm no longer trusting in myself. I'm relying on Jesus. It's no longer that I didn't realize how amazing Jesus was. I can't believe how great Jesus is. Now I'm with Jesus. I, I see my sin. And I see that I'm covered in his righteousness. Now I get sometimes you might tell that story and go, you know, what? I forget sometimes that, that my sin's been forgiven. Sometimes I beat myself up and then I realize, no, I've been forgiven. Because it's true you have been forgiven. It's true that you have been cleansed. It's true that you've been covered in his righteousness. This is our story. And can I encourage you as you, and I, I definitely, I'm being super practical. I want you to think about how you tell your story. You've got a story that, that you should be prepared to tell. Opportunities will come up. And the worst thing is when someone says, there's an opportunity, tell me more. And you're like, I haven't got my story ready. But don't pick on the things that are temporary. It's my best advice to you, right? Stick with what's eternally true. So don't base your testimony on, um, like I said earlier, like, you know, I used to really struggle with money and then I met Jesus. And now everything, all my bank balance balances. Because when you base your testimony on that, and then sometime later you get into debt or some financial trouble hits, your testimony is, is meaningless. Or, you know, I, I, I used to be really unhappy and now I met Jesus and now every day is brilliant. Well, what happens on the day when it's rubbish? Because your testimony has collapsed now. Or, you know, I was, I was unemployed and I met Jesus and he found a job for me. These are all temporary things. They're great things, but they're temporary. Our, our story is based on the eternal truths. Things that are always unchanging. I'm forgiven. There is never going to be a day that you are not forgiven. You're following Jesus. This is an eternal truth. You are forgiven. You can tell people, I was once in sin and now I'm forgiven of those sins. That is eternally true. I didn't have a family before. You had an earthly family. But I didn't have a heavenly family and now I've been adopted into God's family. It's eternally true. You know, I was an enemy of God, but now I'm loved by him. I'm cherished by him. His love has been poured out upon me. That is eternally true. I've been accepted. I've been cleansed. I don't have to live with condemnation. I might beat myself up, but God does not beat me up. He does not condemn me. These are eternal truths. So be ready to tell this story. And the great thing is, is because we've all got the same story, we can all tell the same story. You might have a different conversion moment. You might have different sin that was in the past or whatever, but the, the, the conversion 
the change from this direction to that direction is the same and that is the story that we all get to tell. So as I wrap up in, in, in saying these things to you, I just want to wrap up by saying this. And I pray you do get prepared to tell your story and realize that your story isn't the day you got saved. It's the fact that you are saved. It's the fact that you were lost and now you're found. That you were sinful and now you're forgiven. This is your story. I want you to expect the same results as Paul got. I want you to get the same results that Paul got. You know, there's one more objection that people often have, which is, when I tell my story, it doesn't make a lot of impact. You told me, Trevor, it was dramatic, but it didn't seem to have a lot of impact on people. Well, let me tell you, you can expect the same results that Paul had. Paul's story had little impact. <laughs> you know, throughout all of Acts, where you read about these things that I read to you, where Paul was arguing and debating and working with philosophers and sharing his story and... You know, you will read plenty of lack of results as much as you read about results. You see salvation and rejection. You see people accepting what he says and you see an uproar and fighting and shouting and arguing and want to stone him. You see it both. Even the story he told to Agrippa, I read it to you earlier, he tells his story to Agrippa. Let's pick it up again in Acts chapter 26. He tells his story. This is what King Agrippa tells him. He says, suddenly... Festus, this was the other governor who was with the king, but you'll read about Agrippa in a second. Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa interrupted. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here, this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. <laughs> so you might expect the end of this sermon to be a nice rousing, encouraging moment when I say expect the same results as Paul. Paul did not see everybody respond to his story. He didn't even, all this technical stuff that most of us aren't qualified for, he didn't see everyone respond to all his theological arguments and philosophical ones. Yes, some people got saved, but many people rejected it. But Paul had this attitude that I want to leave you with. Paul had this attitude. He had the attitude of, I will do everything to get something. Often we're like, you know, I'm not going to put all the effort in for such a little return, but Paul had an attitude that said, I will do everything to get something. Because he knew that if he did nothing, he would get nothing. It's like, I'm going to do everything to get something. This is how he expresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 19 to 23. You hear him talk this attitude through and explain it. Read this here. In verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all... I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Not all of them. He didn't say, I, I made myself a servant to all that I might win all of them. He says, I went, made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became an outsider to the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, 
that I might win the week. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save everyone. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. And so as you share your story, and I desperately encourage you to be prepared to share your story and pray for opportunities and look for opportunities and take the opportunities when they come. Share it as much as you can with all people that some might respond. That some might respond. And I want to say the best place to practice your story, the safest place to practice your story is with believers. I hope like me, you love baptisms. Remember baptism Sunday, someone tells their testimony. They tell their story. And I love baptism stories. They're so encouraging. But I want to tell you, I don't think people's baptism story is their best story. Because they're just at that moment of turning around. They've yet to, to live it. And so we think our story is, this is the day I got saved. This is the moment I got saved. This is what happened to me. And someone preached and I put my hand up or I fell to my knees or I was in my bedroom and I... No. Your story is the big story. And it is so encouraging to hear the stories of others. It's a great way to practice telling your story. And so if you want, and I would love you to, I'd love you to practice your story. You know, when you tell your story, it identifies with my story and with other story. And we all get encouraged. And you increase in confidence at the ability to tell your story to those who are less welcome, to those who are hostile, to those who might go, well, I'm pleased for you, but, or, well, how did that happen? All these sort of reactions. You tell your story to believers. You lift them up. You lift yourself up. You glorify Jesus. And you, you increase this bond that says, hey, we're, we've got the same story. This is amazing. And so I want to encourage you. Don't be put off by the results you get from your story. You have a dramatic, amazing story to tell. Practice it. Record it to a video. When we get back in the building, tell it live. I don't care, but tell your story. There is never a bad day to tell your story in church or even to outside of church. There's never a bad day, never a bad Sunday. If you ever want to share your story, we would love to hear it. It encourages the church. It lifts people up. You have a story. Get ready to share it. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you've saved us. Lord, thank you that you've turned our lives around. Lord, I know, Lord, even right now, mine and other people, our lives look all messed up. And we've got things wrong with our thinking and things wrong with our habits and things wrong with our, our bodies and things wrong with our relationships or whatever. Lord, there's all this stuff wrong, but inside, everything is made right. Lord, thank you that it's true for every single person who is following you, that they are forgiven, that they are cleansed, that they're adopted into your family, that they're accepted by you, that there is no condemnation from you over them, that they're destined for heaven. These things are true. These are our story, Lord. And I pray you'd encourage us to tell that story and encourage one another. And Lord, I also pray especially, Lord, if there is anyone listening right now who says, that's not my story. Oh, Lord, that they would know the truth of what Paul said to the jailer and what I would say now. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Lord Jesus, thank you that you say, put your trust in me and you can go from being someone who is drenched in their sin to being cleansed whiter than the snow.
You can be someone who is not part of the people of God to be in part of the universal church, the body of Christ. You can be someone who's headed for hell and become destined for heaven. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. Praise God.